0: All right, coming up next, I'd like to give you a sneak peek into an upcoming show called Christian Psychology 101 with Chapo and Paddy. Now, we haven't actually put this series to air just yet, so you're getting yourself an exclusive listen. Lucky you for getting up so early and sticking with us. I hope you enjoy it. Well, welcome back
1: to Faith FM. You're here with Chapo. And I've got someone with me. His name is Paddy O'Neill. And how do we know each other, Paddy? You're my pastor. I am. I'm the pastor at Central Coast Community Church, yeah. and Patty is one of my faithful members there. So,
2: uh, what have you come to talk to us about today, Paddy? Uh, I want to discuss how psychology and the Bible are aligned, Okay. and what value systems mean both to psychology and the Bible. Okay, I've got a few questions there. Sure. So, psychology, this is an interest of yours? Yes. Yeah? Um, I was trained in psychology. I've got a bachelor's in psychology. When I went to tell my former pastor, Wayne Krauss about this, he says, Paddy, there are three studies at university that are known yep. to stuff up your faith in God. That's sociology, anthropology, and psychology. And I thought, well, that's a good start. Thank okay. you very much, <laughs> Yeah.
1: Yep. And do you still think that?
2: No, absolutely not. And it's because of where I went to in my studies. I went to a thing called positive psychology. Okay. And I love behavioral psychology. And behavioral psychology is based on what we're going to talk about today which is value systems okay well
1: and that's the next question is value systems so a lot of people might have an idea of what psychology is and what that entails
2: yeah but the term value systems can you just tell me a bit about what that means to you value system is the underpinning of all my behaviors right now whether you know it or not whether it's sitting in obvious sight for you or whether it's underneath your lack of consciousness of it you know you will react based on your value systems. That's defined to you through your culture. That's defined to you on what you actually believe. really good example of that is what rugby league team do you follow? You know, you will wear blue if you're a Bulldog supporter or you wear black like me. Parramatta. There you go.
3: (laughs) There
4: you go.
2: Yeah, we had a good win last night. Didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so a value system is based on what you believe, whether it's conscious or unconscious what I'm saying to you is have value systems that are conscious. You know, God says to us, a really good example is Micah 6.8, which says there, You know, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord expect of you? To act justly, Just like. to love mercy, yeah. and to walk humbly with your God. Now, if you have that as a value,
4: yeah,
2: you're going to be kind to people. You're going to treat them justly, especially yeah. if that's in the front. Yeah, That's why I love value systems and behavioral psychology. Yeah. So, it's, it's the things that you cherish within you that affect the way that you live Absolutely. day by day. They
1: have to have an effect on your behavior and the way you treat Always. others and live yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, cool.
2: Well, um, let's get into it. Let's, sure. Um, yeah. What's some of the stuff you want to share with us? Well, what I want to talk to you about today, especially, is the values of fatherhood. Mm. My passion in life is fatherhood. I'm, I'm from a family. I was six. My great-grandfather had 26 children. I've got huge numbers of people all over. When God wrote the Ten Commandments, he wrote them with his finger, and that means it was real personal to him. Yeah. Right? So fathers, I believe, and he's called our father, and fathers, I believe, have a huge influence on the rearing of a child, and I don't care whether you're a Christian or you're not. If you rear your children with strong values, yeah. those children will grow up happy. You're involved. You know, one of the saddest things I've ever had is yeah. I never talked to my grandfather much. Yeah. He was just, uh, both my grandfathers, my Fijian grandfather and my New Zealand grandfather, never yeah. talked to them much. I don't know them well. I found out afterwards. You've got to talk to them. And that's why I love God is because I talk to him and I find out what his values are. And then as a father, I transcend those to my children.
1: Yeah, the Bible's really strong on the idea that God is Father. And particularly for me, someone who grew up without having known a father and I don't have any relationship with my father at all, I never have. That idea of God stepping in, Mm. in the Old Testament he refers to himself as the father of the fatherless, was a life-changing thing for me. Um, It actually truly changed the way that I see myself and the way that I behave because now... God stepped into that role and and he's my father. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So I look at the role of value systems that go through the father. Now, it doesn't mean that mothers aren't involved because they are. I know that my mother set value systems on me mm, and I'm telling you if I got them wrong, she let me know. But I think if a father sits down with his children and role models what their value systems are, the children will take it and I now have grandchildren, yeah. and they act in a way that I taught my children. And I thought, that is wonderful. Yeah, and That's why I think fathers are hugely important value systems. Those value systems come from the Bible, and then psychology through behavioral psychology shows that if you role model these values correctly, mm. the children will always follow them. Every child's going to kick against everything. I did it. My children did it. My grandchildren will do it. Yep. It doesn't yep. matter. They will do. They'll go down their pathway. But if they have the very basis of that, they will follow it. I've done that with my foster children. I've had over 40 foster children. Wow. But a lot of them have just gone on their own way. Over how many years did you have 40 foster children? 10 years. 10 years of yep. being yep. in the, yep. the foster care. Let me tell you, I was asked by my university professor, do you feel that you are a success at fostering? And I said to him, no, statistically, no because right. only about 40% of my children that I fostered actually have a relationship with myself. And okay. fostering's hard work. Yeah. It really is hard work. And generally what we got, because we, Nikki and I were so experienced at it, is we got the hard-to-handle children. So Nikki's your wife. Nikki's – sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nikki is my wife. Yeah, yeah. my darling. She's, uh, you know, um, an elder in our church. She, she is. This. She's a wonderful woman. There you go. Yeah. Um, for me, I look at the role of father, role modeling, even affected my foster children. I've had one foster child that left me when he was 18, hit the drugs big time, and has been drug smashed for eight years. I yeah. rang him the other day, totally different guy, and he's just spouting forward back to me all the values that I set into him about about drugs, about behaviour, about working hard, about gratitude. Yeah. So, look, it seems like
1: if I'm hearing what you're saying, it's like implanting values into our children. Sometimes it's like a seed that might not actually develop and
2: and sprout um, for a few years later. Correct. Absolutely. But it's got to be there. Yeah. You know, like these kids, when they came to me, had no values. Most of them. Zero values. The last five I had, which really killed fostering for Nikki and myself, they were just so hard. They were entitled like you wouldn't believe. Okay. And yet one of them is starting to spout back (laughs) what we taught them over two years, what we taught her and her sister over two years. Now, so
1: fatherhood is obviously something that you're passionate about, and I know we've had many conversations about this before. Yeah. I can see your T-shirt. It says, Dad Joke Loading. Please wait. <laughs> yes. Have you got a dad joke for us? Uh, not right at the top not of right the head. Not right at the top of your head? Yeah. Look, well, with that note, we're just going to take a short break, yeah, and uh, and we'll be back soon. Awesome.
3: In this world there is trouble, but you bring peace. I find it on my face, yeah, on my knees. In my darkest of hours, I will call your name. When I'm weary and broken, in my weakness, I will pray. I need Jesus, I need a real love. I don't need Another fancy thing, what I need is you. Yeah. On the tallest of mountains, in the highest place, on my greatest of days, yeah. Oh, it's all grace. When my joy is overwhelming Still I call your name Staying desperate for you, Lord I will sing it out again I need Jesus I need a real love I don't need another fancy thing What I need is you I need Jesus The fancy thing, what I need is you. And in my darkest night, I'll call upon your name. When all the world is right, still I will seek your face. And in the sun or stone, there's nothing I
1: Back, you're listening to Faith FM. You're here with Chapo and Paddy O'Neill, and um, we've been discussing values, psychology, the way that values affect your behaviour, and particularly how that impacts parenting and fathering in particular. We're Mm. two blokes talking. Yeah, we're both fathers, and we've been talking about yeah the impact that values has on the way that we raise our kids. Yeah, yeah. So where do you want to go from here, Paddy?
2: I'll define our value systems and value structures. We. We've got to understand that our culture affects us. Mm. You know, what's acceptable in Iran is not acceptable here. What's acceptable here, for instance, uh, not wearing the hajib is totally unacceptable in the Middle East. And so that's considered a value by those people, but it's not considered a value here. And we've got to be real careful that we respect one another in those uh, particular cases. However, very basic values of interaction with one another... Is huge. Right. Now, one of the values that has been set in our society is the duty of care principle that was written by Lord Aitken in 1948 in the British Parliament. It now pervades the whole of our society. Okay. And who is our neighbour is basically what it says. And it says that anybody that we can affect both positively and negatively by doing something specific or not doing anything at all is our neighbour. Right. And we have to be real careful about how we treat our neighbor. Our children, for instance, are our neighbors. How do we treat our children? We are obviously bound to them genetically. I can rave on about epigenetics and how we are connected right back through to God. We are. And I believe that God's going to teach us when we get to heaven about how connected we are through our gene pool. So the value system's that we have, we've got to check our culture, then we check our belief systems. Okay. And my belief systems is based obviously on the Bible because I am a Christian, but then you look at what the Muslims believe and theirs are going to be different. The Jews are going to be different. The Shaolin monks are going to be different. Okay. And then you look at our our knockabout rock and roll heads. They're going to have a different set of values. Right. But every one of us knows that we've got to live with one another. Yeah. So how do we live with one another? Yeah. That's your value
1: system. So your value system is almost a a cross between, uh, just trying to dissect what you're saying there, like, our faith system firstly. Yes. Our culture around us yes. and what is I guess driven into us by the culture that we grew up yep. in. Yep. And then each
2: individual family yep. has its own set of values as yep. well, I suppose. Yep. So oh, it's a v- yeah. v- big talk. So what I want to talk about now about now is how we behave. Right. We can be measured on behavior. And doctor Jordan Peterson that a lot of a lot of men like listening to, is a behavioural psychologist. Based on uh, trait theory, right okay. trait, now trait. Yeah, what yeah. is that? That's that's new to me. Yeah, trait theory is the study of the generalization and the normalization of five measures of human behavior, and the five measures of human behavior that they use constantly throughout behavioral psychology and the psychology of numbers is this: openness to experience, conscientiousness extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. Right. For instance, let's take agreeableness because yeah. that's a nice thing. You know, We yeah. know that Jesus Christ is agreeable. We okay. could, we'd say be high on agreeableness. Yep. And yet a person can be totally like Hitler, just rat packs. You knew they weren't agreeable. <laughs> okay. So we measure on a continuum. Extroversion, you've got people. Like myself. it's not olive oil? <laughs> yes. No. no okay. <laughs> not olive oil, no. Right. Okay. Um, you've got extroversion. Like I'm an extrovert. That might have been a dad joke. Yeah, man. But I, yeah, I think yeah, that was, sorry, no, we, yeah. we loaded that one. Yeah, up. yeah. <laughs> um, we've got extroversion. I'm an extrovert. Yeah. And yet my, my Nikki is not so much like that, you know. She won't get up and do the things that I will do. Um, that's how they measure behavior, mm-hmm. right? But the other point of behaviour was what controls behaviour and it is what I said in the beginning, what motivates you. Right. What actually motivates you to be kind to someone? Right now, our poor Chinese brothers are copping it in the neck. Yeah. And I've heard people being very unkind to my Chinese brothers and I don't like that. Right. I will live in my country as best as I can and treat people kindly and that's why I feel for those people i feel for when a woman's been suppressed i hate that i feel it when a child is is beaten up i hate that because because it grates against your value system grates against my value system so i repeat i have four primary values we'll talk about this in another time but kindness how am i going to react kindly you know how do I react when a young girl beats at me when she's driving down the road and she's doing her makeup and she's giving me the bird as she drives past? If I'm normal, Patty, yeah. I'd flare up and yeah. get angry and remain angry for the next two hours or I pull myself back. I put on my blue head. Yeah. And I sit back and I go into the next lane and calm myself. Yeah. kindness. Yeah, and yeah, you have to ask yourself sometimes, well, if kindness is one of my
1: values, yes. how does kindness respond to exactly. this, this event? Exactly. Um, yeah.
2: And then I have gratitude. One of the things I always taught my foster children, mm. be grateful you're with Nikki and Patty. Yeah. I believe we're good people. Yeah. So be grateful for that. Mm. I'm going to look after you. It almost sounds like there's the choice to live according to your
1: values or yes. to, And it's similar to in the New Testament. There's the idea of the old man and the new man, Correct. you know. Um, and, you know, the, the old man was the old man of sin who yep. was just prone to behave however yep. he or she chose to behave. Yep. But the new man yep. lives according to the fruit of the Spirit Absolutely. and lives according to the principles that Jesus Correct. has called us to. That's right. But sometimes in the moment, you've actually got to make that decision. Yeah. Am I going to live according to the values of the new man? That's right. Or the old man? Correct. Now, Absolutely. based on what you're saying, a lot of people have probably got the question, yeah. um, how do I define my values and, and how do I determine what are my values? True. But that's a big topic. And you said yeah. that might be something for another Absolutely. another episode. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. we got a little bit more time. Okay. Is, there, is there anything else you yeah. want to share
2: with us before we wrap up? Um, how do values alter our behavior? Goes back to motivation. You know, I've mentioned this before. There was a bunch of psychologists called Deci and Johnson, and they did a study um, in the in the early nineties mm-hmm. about how people behave. And we will behave based on autonomy. We will behave based on competence. We'll behave based on relatedness. Right now, if we relate to someone well. We're going to behave in a certain manner if we relate to them opposed to that. uh, We're going to behave in a completely different manner. And this comes down to intrinsic motivation. Now, the Bible to me, as I study the Bible, so I'm trying to make it deep within me that the values of Jesus Christ become the values of Patty. You have to do that. If you want to change, if you want the new man, and are we going to get there in our lifetime? No. But Jesus loves the fact that we try. Look, I, I might even challenge that,
1: that I don't think Jesus calls us to be better men. Yeah. He calls us to be new men. Yeah. And there's that difference between nice. giving something a makeover or yeah. letting something be made nice. fresh. But it's nice. that, it's that daily decision,
3: yep. which
2: is in each opportunity, yep. how am I going to live as the new man? Yep. Yeah, And that's, for me, I love psychology because I can measure it. People measure it by standing opposite a person who's changed. You know, I've brought um, guys into the church that are hard men. Yeah. And I've watched them change. And one particular mate of mine would have been gone troppo-violent on his family yep. with what happened to him. He won't do that now. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is incredible. Isn't it? And to think that um,
1: theology and psychology don't clash somewhere when you see someone's life transformed That's right. by exposure to the power of God. Yeah. And it's changing their makeup. It's changing the way that they think and yep. respond and act at a psychological level. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah,
2: Awesome. Yeah, psychology's changing at the moment. There are two major studies that are coming on. There's epigenetics, yep. and that's a whole study of the Fifth Commandment. I love that. And then there's positive psychology. In yeah. the year 2000, they changed psychology from, right, we bring people back to point zero. How do we then help them to change to be better yeah. people.
1: And, and there's stuff. a favourite one of mine, yeah. um, we've talked about it before, which is neurotheology, Yes, which is the effect right. of uh, yep. spirituality on the brain, and that could be another oh, whole what a big topic. discussion in itself. But yep. we've probably run out of time yes. for today. Yep. We've had a good talk. Thanks yep. for uh, coming in. Thank you. It'll and uh, you've been listening to Faith FM.
0: That was Christian Psychology 101 with Chapo and Patty. What did you think? Make sure you let us know on 1-800-FAITH-FM at faithfm.com.au or on the FAITH-FM Facebook page. I'm Brad. If you haven't heard, The Breakfast Show is having some maintenance work done today in the studio and this is happening tomorrow morning as well. What this means is we can't bring you the regular live show. So today I wanted to, to show you some of the new and upcoming stuff we're working on here at FAITH-FM. You just heard Christian Psychology 101 with Chapo and Patty. And now, we're going to wrap up today with a nice short episode of Ancient Mysteries Unearthed with Gary Webster. If you like things like history, gold, archaeology, kings, wars, and the Bible, I think you'll find this short little program really neat. Enjoy!
4: This book is full of amazing prophecies. Let me illustrate this from the book of Isaiah. Recently archaeologists discovered this seal impression that is almost certainly that of the prophet Isaiah. Now this is not the r- real size of it, it's just blown up to so we can see it. The real size is about as big as your fingernail, just a very tiny little seal. Now, It's 2,700 years old, dating back to around 700 BC, the exact time when, according to the Bible, Isaiah the prophet lived, and it was found close to the seal impression of a contemporary king and a friend, King Hezekiah. Now, from the historical material in Isaiah's book, we know that it dates back to around about 700 BC. And in his book, he makes some amazing prophecies regarding the future of Jerusalem, Babylon and its impact with Jerusalem and the temple in Jerusalem as well. And all of these prophecies were made at least 100 to 150 years before the events took place. Firstly, he said the Babylonians would destroy Jerusalem and take captives to Babylon. Notice the book of Isaiah. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Isaiah 39 verses 6 and 7. Now Nebuchadnezzar ruled the Babylonian Empire from 605 to 562 BC. He actually made three raids on the city of Jerusalem during this time. In 605 BC, 597 BC, and in 586 BC, he destroyed the city. Now, the biblical record states that King Jehoiachin, one of King Hezekiah's descendants or sons, was indeed taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon. Notice what the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 24, verse 15. Nebuchadnezzar took Jehoiachin captive to Babylon. Now, I have here a very fascinating replica of the Nebuchadnezzar tablet. This clay tablet records Nebuchadnezzar's second raid on Jerusalem in 597 BC. It says that because the kingdom of Judah had stopped paying tribute to Babylon, in 598 BC the Babylonian army besieged Jerusalem. And it finally fell on the 15th or the 16th of March in 597 B.C. And it says that King Jehoiachin of Judah was carried off to Babylon along with very heavy tribute. Now, the Bible even informs us around 600 B.C. that Jehoiachin received a daily ration of food from the Babylonians. Notice what the Bible says. As for his, talking of Jehoiachin, as for his provisions... There was a regular ration given him by the king of Babylon, a portion for each day until the day of his death, all the days of his life. Jeremiah 52 verse 34. Now, this clay tablet in the Pergamon Museum in Berlin was discovered in Babylon. It actually records the rations issued to Jehoiachin and his sons by the Babylonians. Imagine it. All of this amazing evidence shows the prophetic reliability and historical accuracy of the Bible. The Bible mentioned rations, and they found the ration tablet. However, Isaiah also predicted some 150 years in advance that King Cyrus, the Medo-Persian king, would capture Babylon, and that a factor in its fall would be the fact that Babylon's gates were to be left open for King Cyrus. Notice what the Bible says. Thus says the Lord to His anointed to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors, so the gates will not be shut. That's Isaiah 45 verse one. Isaiah even predicted that as part of the capture of Babylon, its sea, that's the river Euphrates, would be dried up. Notice what the Bible says. Who says to the deep, Be dry, and I will dry up your rivers. Who says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and he shall perform all my pleasure. Isaiah 44, verse 27 and 28. The prophet Jeremiah, writing about around 600 BC, prophesied the same thing before this took place. Notice what he said. Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I will plead your case. Take vengeance for you. I will dry up her, that's Babylon he's talking about, her sea, that's the river Euphrates, Jeremiah 51, 36. Now, according to Isaiah, Cyrus would also set the Israelites free and assist them to rebuild Jerusalem. Notice again what Isaiah predicts. Thus says the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus, I have raised him up in righteousness. He shall build my city and let my exiles go free. Isaiah 45, verse 13. Finally, Isaiah predicted that Cyrus would help the Jews to restore the temple. Notice again what Isaiah said. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built and to the temple, your foundation shall be laid. Isaiah 44, verse 28. Now all of these predictions were fulfilled exactly. History reveals that when King Cyrus attacked Babylon a great feast was taking place inside the city and outside the city by digging channels that led away from that part of the Euphrates River that flowed through the city of Babylon, he lowered the level of the river, thus allowing his soldiers to wade along the riverbed, river beside the city walls that were on both banks of the river, the city on both sides. However, that night, with the party going on, the river gates were left open, thus allowing Cyrus and his soldiers to march into the city of Babylon and to easily take it. Now, you know, this cylinder here, known as the Cyrus cylinder, is one of the most amazing discoveries. It's mute evidence to the Bible's prophetic reliability and its historical accuracy. On this cylinder, Cyrus tells us that when he took Babylon, He allowed the people, like the Jews, to return to their homelands and to build or rebuild their temples. Amazing, when you think about it, an incredible archaeological discovery that helped people see the Bible was not only accurate, but its predictions were reliable. But the question is, why did God give all these predictions about Cyrus and Babylon through his prophet Isaiah and his other prophets regarding other matters? Isaiah tells us exactly why. Notice what he says in his discussion about Cyrus. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, I have even called you by your name, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting, in other words, the whole world, that the whole world may know there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Isaiah 45 verse 1, 4 and 6. God says through Isaiah, you see, that the ability to predict the future is like his signature, that he alone is God. Notice again from Isaiah. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. How do we know that, that he is God? He goes on to say, I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. Isaiah 46 verse 9 and 10. You know, when Jesus Christ was here, he spelt out even more clearly as to why God's prophets made predictions. Notice what he said. Now I have told you, he was making some predictions himself, I've told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe, John 14, verse 29. So prophecy helps us to believe in God. But why does God want us to believe in him as the only God? Isaiah tells us, Notice what he says. Look to me, says God. In other words, trust me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. Isaiah 45 verse 22. God wants us all to be part of his soon coming eternal kingdom. Because in that kingdom there's going to be no tears, no pain, no sorrow and no death. We've seen too many tears. We've felt too much pain on our planet. We've had too much sorrow and we stood over the graves of too many loved ones and friends. Thank God he's about to set up a kingdom with none of those things. So you see, he gave all these amazing prophecies to help us believe that he exists and that by putting our trust in him, we can be saved. In other words, we can be part of his eternal kingdom that he's about to set up. So why not study the prophecies of the Bible, especially those of the books of Daniel and the Revelation, In order to understand the meaning of the momentous current events that are taking place all around us today, and to know what's about to take place, let me assure you, your faith in God will soar as you do.
0: Thank you for tuning in today for The Breakfast Show that is The Breakfast Show, but kind of isn't The Breakfast Show. Anyway, I'm Brad and I've enjoyed hanging out with you this morning. And you can come and hang out with me again tomorrow morning as we share some more new and upcoming programs on Faith FM. But after tomorrow, it'll be back to the actual breakfast show once the maintenance work happening at the Newcastle Breakfast Show studio is done. I feel like I'm saying breakfast show a lot. One last time, I want to invite you, if you have any ideas or feedback about Faith FM and what we air or any of the shows that you like listening to, or even some of the ones that you might not like listening to, we are always open to feedback and improving what we air. So make sure you give us a call on 1 800 FaithFM, 1 800 FaithFM, or you can contact us through faithfm.com.au or on the FaithFM Facebook page. Thanks for listening this morning. Have a great day.